um, if you can call that, I've got the privilege of speaking tonight <laughs> while pastor's away. So um, if you turn to Acts chapter 17, please. Tonight I just want to do a brief study just talking about um, our Christian walks, making sure that we're on the right track and trying to avoid stagnating and becoming ineffective for God. It's important to always be on the move, always ready for God to use us, always willing to be spent as required. So it's a really short reading here, Acts 17 and the very first part of verse 28. And it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. Okay, so I'll just pray now. Thank you, Father, for tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we can meet now midweek and um, to study your word. I pray you'd help me. Help me, Lord, to be able to clearly say what you want me to. And I pray, Father, that uh, you'd be glorified tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So right now in this passage of scripture, we see Paul is midway through his sermon on Mars Hill. The expression in him basically means by him. So by his originally forming us, and him continually sustaining us. No words can better express our constant dependence on God. He is the original fountain of life, and he upholds us each moment. Paul here is teaching that God is the very source of our existence, and that life comes from him. As Bible-believing Christians, we are completely reliant on God for every aspect of our life, and also the greater things that happen in the entire universe. Movement, or the things we do for God, the motions in our life, also comes from Him. And that's, this movement is what I want to briefly talk about tonight and have a look at some scriptures. When I was probably about five years old, I think that's when I started to learn how to ride a bike. Obviously, at that point, to that point there, I'd never ridden one before, but I soon found out, like every other person who ever has ridden a bike, that if there's one thing that you have to do to stay up on a bike is to keep moving forward. The moment you stop is when you fall over and when you hurt yourself. That's what happens if you stop going forward. It's exactly the same in the Christian life. We can never live this life to the potential God has for us unless we're continually growing and continually moving forward. You should be closer today to God in your heart, soul and body than any other time in your life. And this is always convicting to me when I consider this for myself because am I still moving forward? Am I stagnating or am I going backwards? And now, as we get into the end of the year, as we move towards a new year, I want to encourage you now to purpose and to pray that you'll keep moving forward in decisions that you make. You might decide to serve more, give more, fellowship more, study more, and no matter what good decision you might make, it's all vain unless you actually follow through. The key is to realise it's all Him and that we live it's all in him that we live and move and continually are. It's all in God. We must move forward in his strength, not our own. Trials will come, tests will come, but God is able and so are we when we put our trust in him and put our faith in him. When we recognise that when things seem out of control and that God is in control, that's what gives us the strength to keep moving forward. He is with us and he gives us that strength to take those steps. If you turn to the book of Psalms now, um, there's a couple of, a couple of um, verses I want to go through in verse 18 here. And this is just basically talking about, in chapter 18, sorry, how um, God is to us in this world. Psalm 18, verse 30, if you look at that one, it says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. 
He is a buckler to all that trust in him. And look at verse 32. It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. So we're seeing here, obviously, God, when we talk about our way, where our trust should be, it's always in God. Uh, Turn to chapter 139 of Psalms, please. One thing we've got to remember is that we're totally surrounded by God. We depend on God for our very existence. God sustains our lives. Wherever we move, He is there. We exist by Him and in Him. The presence of God is all-prevailing and it's everywhere within his universe. And David spoke about this in Psalm 139. Look at verse 5 with me. Thou hast beset me before, behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So we see from those scriptures, God promises to be there with us here on earth. Remember, we do the best we can to the best of our ability, but then we just trust on God to come through his end. He always has and he always will. And so that's the confidence we can have. His promises are all true and can be counted on 100%. There's not many people who, don't, who doesn't like air conditioning. I really like the air conditioning. I'll, as cold as possible at night, I'll crank it right down and then probably still sleep on top of the cover. And meanwhile, Jen's full pyjamas underneath the doona. But um, I set it at 20 at night and I'd go lower if Jen would let me. But it's, it's, the best way to sleep is nice and cold. <coughs> and having an air conditioner, it takes all the effort out of trying to keep cool or trying to keep warm. You just Turn it on, set the temperature, press a button, away you go. That's it. But in days gone by, to keep warm, a fire had to be tended and fuel, fuel supplies had to be closely monitored to keep warm. In the colder climates, running out could be actually deadly for people. And the same is true spiritually. If we think our spiritual fire can be ignited as easily as just an air conditioner, we're going to risk losing um, our forward motion for the Lord when you think about the priests in the desert, while the Hebrews were wandering, they were instructed to never let that fire go out. So can you just imagine um, the work that was required to collect all that wood in the desert? I don't know where they would have got it from, but they, they had to figure something out because that fire wasn't allowed to go out. So that required a lot of work. And this is a picture to us as well. That fire requires work in our hearts, in our lives. We can relate to this fire on the altar as a symbol of the flame of our devotion for the Lord. Spiritual passion is not something to be treated lightly or taken for granted. It will grow cold if we fail to keep it supplied with fuel. To keep the fire of our devotion burning strong, we must continue the hard work of stocking our fuel supply with hope, love, patience, prayer, generosity, hospitality, humility. This is the true marks of a Christian, what the Bible says. So we're going to look at some practical things. Uh, If you turn to Romans 12, we'll look at some practical things that we can live out to keep this forward motion for God, to keep this fire burning. Outworking these practical things that we're going to look at is like putting logs in the fire of our life, okay? This is what this is doing. The more logs we're going to put on that fire, the brighter and more beneficial we will be. The Apostle Paul has excellent practical instructions for the Roman Christians, and of course, that's directly relatable for us in church today. We can read and learn from this passage just as effectively as that early church did when they received this letter from Paul. 
If you will put these things into practice, you will find you will have amazing forward momentum in your Christian walk. So looking at verse 9, we'll start there. We'll just go verse by verse. I've just got a brief, brief thing to talk about each, each verse. So verse 9 of Romans 12. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. So dissimulation basically is just an imitation, okay? A simulation of the real thing. We are to love without imitation, without hypocrisy. It's not a put on, just genuine love. That's all Paul's saying there. And then you look, abhor that which is evil. We are to hate evil. One of the things that God said concerning Job was that he hated evil. When God and Satan were talking, God said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? So we read that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, so we need to abhor all that is evil. God did not say tolerate that which is evil or accept that which is evil. God said, or to live with, with evil, God says to abhor it. Okay? So that's, that's that verse 9. Verse 10, have a look at that one. It says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honour preferring one another. This one always... Um, is interesting to read. Do we prefer others over ourselves? Do we make sure we're fully taken care of before we think about helping a brother or sister out? Or do we actually look onto the needs of others and help them? When we prefer others, we're actually honouring them. And more importantly, we're honouring the Lord. He's pleased with that. Are we kind to others? Or do people fear to approach us because of the way we come across? So simple things like that we need to be aware of, um, brotherly love. There is so much of me first, pushing my way to the front, wanting to get the best for me before others. But making sure the needs of others are on our minds is a good way of keeping that forward momentum going, keeping those logs on the fire. I have found that when I prefer others and try and meet their needs, then God just looks after mine. I find that if I pray for others, God just looks after the things that I need. I find that when I give and help others, God looks after me and helps. And it's true over and over and over. In fact, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So it's something that you can definitely do to keep that forward momentum going. God will look after his own. He's just that faithful to his word and he will bless you when you bless others. And look at verse 11 of Romans 12. Not slothful in business, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. So this is about our Christian service. How is your service to the Lord are you always hoping someone else will take care of things? Are you happy just to turn up and let everyone else do the work? If we all did this, then there would be no church to come to. There would be no church for us to serve in. We must be fervent in our service. The church depends on the faithfulness of the whole body because each part of the body is gifted differently. So we all need to be faithful in our part. When there's something on the church or an event or things like that, um, we should have a problem of too many volunteers, not enough volunteers. That should be the problem. If you look at verse 12 now, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. So this verse here is very, very powerful. It contains a huge key to just being having a fulfilled life. When things are going badly, we have the hope of God that we can rejoice in. Because we know this earthly life is temporary and we have a home in heaven. It's something we can look forward to. We should be filled with joy at the thought of Christ's imminent return. That should not fill you with despair. It should not fill you with dread. 
You should not think, oh, I want to do this and this and this on earth before Christ comes. You should just be absolutely hanging out to, see, to hear that trumpet and to see Christ coming. If your love for the world is so great that you don't want to see Christ coming, you've got a severe problem because it shouldn't be that way. And then it says they're patient in tribulation. We can be patient in our tribulations because we know the Lord has them in control. And he has allowed these things to come your way. And the whole reason is so we can be shaped more like him. When we have this patient hope, you can go through anything this world will throw at you because you know God's got us. And then the verse concludes with our most powerful weapon, prayer. Are you actually harnessing this, this power, being continually instant in prayer? Do you instantly call on God when trials come? Or do you fear and flounder around the spot? By praying, we cast the care on him and then we keep moving forward doing what he wants, not wallowing in self-pity because of our circumstances. Now moving on to verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Never refuse a generous impulse. If God lays someone or some cause on your heart, follow through and just do what you know you should. It might be money, it might be goods, it might be your time physically, or it might be your time in prayer. But just make sure you're a giver and not always a taker, because that is the blessed, blessed way to live. There's far more blessings in being the giver than there is in being a, being a receiver. And looking at verse 14, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. So Jesus has also commanded this while he walked this earth as a man. It's not our first impulse to want to bless someone who has hurt us but we're commanded to do so. If you find yourself cursing and wanting bad things to happen to those that have hurt you, then you are out of step with Jesus and what he taught. In fact, we must bless them. And the best thing you can do for someone like that is genuinely pray for them. If you can do nothing else, just pray for them and you'll find that your spirit will be changed. <clears throat> Verses 15 and 16 says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one to another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. So here what we're seeing is we need to learn how to empathise with the brethren. Understand and share the feelings of one another, especially those who are rejoicing or going through sorrows. Learn to be on the same wavelength as, relate to, feel for, have insight into what others are feeling. By being this person, you can help them immensely. Sometimes you just, there's not much you can say because sometimes you just don't even know what to say. But just by being there, by listening, by encouraging someone by your presence will go a long way. Sometimes just being there and not judging their actions is what they need. Um, be sensitive to other people's feelings just as Christ loved all people, from the publican to the ruler. Just because you don't struggle with something that another brother does doesn't mean that you can be conceited about it. That's what the Bible warns about. We must realise that we have our own struggles and one day we're going to need help with those. So how about you just put yourself in the other person's shoes when they're going through a struggle and just be a blessing to them. Don't be the person who's happy to point out faults and, then, and render no assistance. You don't want to be that person. And looking at verse 17, it says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. So this is obviously important to God. He, reinstate, he restates the same sentiment from verse 14. Do not repay evil for evil. Be honest in your dealings all the time. Speak the truth. Act out your life as a true Christian and not as a hypocrite. Your life will speak volumes about you much more than your words ever will. 
So just be you and be honest with God and man about yourself. Jesus said the truth will make you free, so live in that promise. Verse 18 says, If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. I really like the fact that it says if it be possible, <laughs> because it's just not always possible. Frankly, some people are impossible. <laughs> it's just whether it's my impatience or it's them, I don't know, probably my impatience, but some people are impossible to us, to me. Um, and there's just no way that you can live in peace with them. But the thing is, make sure it's their fault, not yours, that the situation's like that. Don't be the reason why there's an issue. Make sure you're the, you're the reason there's no issue or make sure it's their issue, not your issue, if that makes sense. <clears throat> Let it be their fault, not yours, as much as lies in you live peaceably with all men. If you don't need to bring something up, don't. You should not re revel in the fact that you have some info that will cause distress to others. Live peaceably. Sometimes that means speaking up, but most of the time it means staying quiet. Try to realise that we're all doing it tough here on earth and let's just make things easier for one another instead of harder. Living peaceably may mean going out of your way to help someone. That's just being a Christian. If you know you can help a situation by doing something, do it. If you know you can't help, then don't try and do something that you think will, because it probably won't. Just be careful. And look, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So again, God shows us the importance of letting God take care of things for us. When we try to push a matter, especially if it's out of season, you will reap a bitter harvest. How much do you find yourself trying to move pawns into place to bring about a conclusion that you want to a situation? Be careful, because if your conclusion doesn't line up with God's, then you're going to have a problem and you're going to suffer for it. Where it says here, give place to wrath, that doesn't mean allow for your wrath either, okay? This means leaving it to the wrath of God and his perfect judgment. That's what this means. It's give place to God's wrath on other people, okay? And not yours. Because if you deliver the wrath, you will most likely do it sinfully and in the flesh. God is the perfect judge and his perfect timing, he'll take care of all things. And if the wrath of God is required, then he'll deliver it how it should be delivered. Verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. So this quote comes straight out of Proverbs. And it's just exactly what it means. You know, different commentators have written different things, but I'm pretty sure it just means you know, the coals of fire on someone is just burning shame to them. The fact that you've done good, you've repaid good for evil, is a shame to them. And that's, that's I think, what it indicates about the coals of fire on his head. Your good treatment, your kind and loving goodness will bring your enemy to a burning shame. We see this principle outworked over and over in the Bible and we see the blessings of God flow out of it on those who love their enemies when they were hated themselves. Christ is obviously the perfect example of this when he was on the cross and his outpouring of love on the very people who were um, humiliating and killing him. Do we get the point here that we need to love those who have hurt us? that we need to be a blessing to those who curse us, that we need to be like Jesus and meekly instruct those that oppose themselves. This is Christianity. This is going the second mile. This is being Christ-like. And then finally, look at verse 21. It says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So, be not overcome of evil, 
basically just means you're not subdued by injuries received from others, okay? That's when you're overcome by evil. And me, that's what that means there. You don't allow your temper to be lost or your Christian principles to be abandoned because of what other people have done to you. Your Christ-like spirit must not be overtaken and quenched because of the actions of other people. Okay, you can't blame that for you losing your cool. Maintain your Christian principles in all of the opposition. And by doing so, you're showing the power of God and the gospel in your life. People who are overcome by evil and allow their temper to be lost, who allow their emotions to control their lives, who allow their mouths to run right, and who allow their reactions to cause more hurt um, to people, are not, they're not living in the spirit, okay? That's, that's a fleshly outworking. But overcome evil with good. That is, subdue evil by doing good to others. Show them the love of a kind, beautiful spirit. By doing this, importantly, God is glorified and you may just win back that brother or sister who's struggling. The most, the most notable thing about true Christian religion, about Bible-believing um, Christianity, um, is, the, is, is this principle about overcoming evil with good. Nothing like this is found in all the religions of the world, all the other cults, all the other pagan things that we see. No one ever says overcome evil with good. It doesn't occur to people until the gospel is preached and they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God shows kindness and always works with this principle of overcoming evil with good. On this principle, the Saviour came and bled and died. And on this principle, all of us Christians should act in treating our enemies and bringing the world to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. If Christians were to show true love and understanding and go to the ends of the earth as Christ commanded with this message, of a evil, uh, then the evil of the world would be overcome. The nations cannot be converted until Christians act on this great and most important principle to overcome evil with good. So let's pray. We'll finish there. Thank you, Father, for your word and for all the things it teaches us. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to be as Christ-like as possible, to um, be feeding our spirit more and more and, and subduing our flesh, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would just help us to study your word and to live it out, Lord, and so you could be glorified in our lives. Pray now, Lord, for the, um, this prayer time coming up. We pray, Father, for a, a good spirit of unity, Lord. We pray, Father, that you'd be pleased with all that happens, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.